0: Welcome to Canqueer home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and oh, hello, and I'm Sebastian. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Sebastian, I didn't mean to to cut you off a little bit there. Uh, my apologies for that. Uh, yeah, um, we are back. Uh, we are live again uh, on CIUT, uh, which, uh, but you may well be hearing us syndicated from coast to coast. And uh, Or maybe on your podcast if you're listening via Spotify or whatever podcast delivery service so tickles your fancy. Now, today we have a pretty big episode uh, lined up ahead of us because we last week we interviewed the executive director of Toronto Pride and made allusion to the fact that there were some big questions that we hadn't asked uh, at the time. I think you can you can agree to those allusions being made there sebastian
1: yes yes uh, I, uh yes uh,
0: but i also uh
1: uh i've been on the show so i knew what they were
0: yeah this is true now uh we are very excited to be welcoming back you know folks who have listened to us for many many years are uh, familiar with our first uh, guest of today uh tom hooper thank you so much for joining us today
2: Hey, thanks for having me back, Luke and Sebastian. Nice to see you guys.
0: Now, for those who are maybe not familiar with your work, or this is the first time uh, hearing from you, shall we start off by maybe introducing yourself and, and what you were doing before you lifted up a nice big dirty rug? Um, and then we can dive into the the rug dust uh, once you've introduced yourself.
2: Yeah, well, I'm a historian, uh, in particular of the Toronto bathhouse raids. And so that's my... Uh, my primary area of expertise. I'm not generally out looking for financial mismanagement and misconduct, uh, but I kind of got dragged into it because it links back to my work on the Bathhouse Raids. Pride Toronto had received this grant, among many, to celebrate the so-called decriminalization of homosexuality in 1969. And for me and my work on the 1981 Toronto Bathhouse Raids, when you know, 300 men were uh, arrested and criminalized in one night. You know, I had to ask myself, how can you have decriminalization when you have all these men being arrested in the bathhouse raids more than 10 years later? And it also happens that those bathhouse raids in 1981 was the foundation for Pride Toronto. It's how Pride Toronto was incorporated. And so when I saw that Pride Toronto received this grant, this federal grant to celebrate this milestone, this so-called milestone, I started looking into it because I found it to be a betrayal of our history. And from there, uh, my investigation went way beyond studying mythologies and history and uh, began looking at, you know,
0: manipulated documents and uh,
2: forged signatures and all sorts of other things.
0: Now, for the folks who maybe have a bit of a passing recollection of what's been happening lately, and even for those who didn't, Uh, You know, essentially you started off with this one grant. I think it was a Canadian Heritage grant and essentially uh, they were promising, uh, I believe it was a a travelling art exhibit, um, you know, a certain amount of education. It was an agreement between Pride Toronto and Canadian Heritage to deliver A, B, C and D uh, in exchange for quite a substantial amount of money. Now. You know, you may, maybe you can provide a little bit more detail there, but I distinctly remember that uh, Toronto Pride released a statement on what they have done with the money, which I believe was a lot of websites. They put, they put a website page together for, for about a million dollars. So I think, uh, well, they had a million dollars, and one of the few things they delivered was a website. I mean, the, the document they put out was, was laughable in that it, it you know it raises far more questions than it answers. So Tom, what am I what am I missing here about that previous piece of investigation you did into you know you're you're lifting up the rug, you're trying to find out why they're focusing on decriminalization when clearly pride of all people should know that's not the case. So what happens when you lifted up that rug? What did you find? Yeah so I looked
2: into that two hundred and fifty thousand dollar nineteen sixty nine grant and in that application the application makes linkages to two other grants. One is a $1 million grant from Public Safety Canada that would have seen Pride Toronto specifically celebrate police services in the festivities. The other grant was for a $600,000 traveling two-spirit art exhibit. So this the, the one grant kind of linked together these other grants and none of these deliverables actually happened. So I started doing access to information requests after access to information requests. I had the one group of grant application documents. Then I got these other documents that start showing, you know, documents claiming partnerships with various organizations. So the Assembly of First Nations, for instance, we're going to partner with pride on that traveling Two spirit art exhibit So I contacted the assembly first nations. I sent them the letter and they came back to me saying, yeah, this is not authentic. We never had a partnership like this. This letter isn't real. So, uh, that's when I, I realized, okay, I've got a, a lot has gone wrong. There's been a massive cover up of widespread financial and ethical misconduct about $1.85 million in federal government grants. So I had to come forward and that's why in January, Uh, I published that report, Um, but I think you captured it pretty well. uh, I think you, I think,
0: I'm going to push back on one thing, and that's about the the police participation in Pride. But before we get there, I think you're absolutely right. There were two or three grants you dug into it. And so many of the organizations that allegedly had signed letters of support of these various grants uh, admitted to you in documentation that we've also seen that their letters of support completely fraudulent. You know, they were signed by people that either no longer or never worked there, and the signatures appear to have been made up on the spot, complete forgeries. So Pride Toronto was able to secure $1.85 million in grants from the federal government, in part through letters of support from organizations that were completely fabricated. Now, we know that some of them were fabricated. The letters were fabricated, not the, the letters, organizations. The organizations were not fabricated. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't small fry. You know, you said the Assembly First Nations. I believe the 519 Community Center was also listed in there. These are large organizations. You know, it does make me question the audacity of, of doing it and, and uh, you know, who could possibly have that audacity. But I did want to push back a little bit on your mentioning of the police piece, because this came up when... We were looking at that decision, weren't we, Sebastian, many years ago. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, 2018 or 2019, where they yep. announced the, the federal government wanted to study, and this is an interesting thing to study. They wanted to know what was the community's perception and working relationship with policing across Canada. Very valuable thing for us to to find out about. You know, is it... Uh, the same everywhere, are some police services doing better than others? Does everybody hate the police in pride? Who knows? But what yeah. they, who they chose to give this, I think it was a $600,000 grant or something, who they chose to give it to was one local festival, the Toronto yeah. Motor Festival.
1: And now to be fair to Tom, uh, a lot of the paperwork so far, they really did take sort of a, a, a grocery basket approach to a lot of their grants, but they would just throw in everything and see what stuck. So chances are everything that we're saying here is true to some degree. And it's just what they put on the documentation versus what they put on their website. It could just be variation on, on who, who
2: is reading what, because well, hold, hold, on, hold on. I, I want to know specifically what the pushback is here. I, I don't say anything unless I have a document in front of me. So yeah. what is it that you take <laughs> issue with? Yeah. The, like- the, what
0: I took issue with is the, I, I do not believe that the grant specifically tied police presence in the parades okay, to, can I, to the can festivals. Can I jump in? And, uh,
2: okay, because I have the, the $250,000 grant application in front of me. And this is the quote. I'm going to read directly from it. We are also working with law enforcement, and we will be working with forces that participate in prides and are particularly targeting police services in celebration. Yeah. And
0: it was in the context of... so. I mean, what is the pushback to that? So, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying. But mm-hmm. initially, when they announced this major grant, and I believe that the Liberals had a big, like a physically large check that they handed over. Um, at the same time, I believe prior to was looking at a very large deficit in their budget that was uh, in the news the week prior. And then one week later, nice big federal grant to, uh, to tide things over. But... What really? Well, let's let's add the other element though. So this this grant this application was made
2: November 2018. In October 2018, the Pride Board reversed its ban on police participation. So they they delivered on this deal they made with the federal government. We'll invite the police back, provided we get all of this money. And so that decision gets made in October. Then in November, I have this grant application saying were particularly targeting police services in celebration. So I I fail to see where I haven't made the case there. So I'll put it back to you.
0: I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you here, Tom. And okay. I think for our Good. listeners' sake, I think the larger context that is important here is many of our listeners may recall that in Toronto and other cities across Canada, the police found themselves particularly unwelcome mainly because it's very often lgbt folks in our communities who are the most vulnerable who find themselves at the uh, sharp end of the law let's say and uh, disproportionately targeted you know it's funny you mention you know you're digging into the history of the bathhouse raids but it was only recently that toronto pride apologized for uh, sorry that toronto police apologized for the bathhouse raids Mm-hmm. Right off the back of doing another million dollar undercover sting operation for the same goal. So, you know, it's it's it beggars belief sometimes with the with the hypocrisy of it. But essentially, let me make this very clear so that folks following can follow along. Mm-hmm. The community demanded the police no longer be in pride. The Pride Board agreed and banned police from Pride. Mm-hmm. conversations happened, the Pride board then changed their minds unilaterally, uh, and now allowed police to attend in Pride. One month later, a federal grant goes in uh, for Toronto Pride with the police.
1: Now, and an added piece of context is that in the same year, uh, the Vancouver police actually hired somebody specifically to help clean up police-community relations and and was actually doing a, a pretty good job of it and was sealing the breach on a few issues, and that's why the grant application for the research went through because some communities were welcoming the police back, and others were rejecting it, and the government needed to have a clear idea of what the heck was going on. And it was a that was 2018, and it was a pretty big mess that year. Yeah, um, there's a lot going on. That, so I mean, it, there's a lot of context yeah. sort of driving this research. And so this
0: this it's just so gosh darn messy and i think that's yeah. really the point that we're getting at here so yeah, there's yeah. this one one uh you know one thing around policing which didn't seem to deliver particularly any of that research that we saw were hopeful for mm-hmm. i believe that's one of the ones that delivered a website i think was one of their deliverables um but it's not a, it's not live still i don't think okay well, there, <laughs> was actually, <laughs> there was a very brief website um you know, and then there was another one around that uh, traveling art exhibit, which the artists themselves pulled out of.
2: Yes. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, Kent, Kent Monkman and, and other Indigenous artists who were approached by Pride Toronto. Because this was an, a grant that was designed to support artistic communities. That was mm-hmm. the purpose. Uh, and Pride Toronto was turning around and using it to try to tell these artists, OK, you have to sign over ownership of the artwork. So that would allow Pride Toronto to sell uh, different merchandise related to the artwork without having to go back to the artist. They would own all of the, the property rights to it. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a take, this is a theft uh, from Indigenous communities from a grant that was supposed to uplift and support them. I also checked with Heritage, by the way, on that, and they came back and told me, yeah, commissioning an asset, which is what they were trying to do, that's not allowed under the terms of the grant. Yeah. So it's a a lot of, as
0: you say, Luke. This is a, lo- a huge mess uh-huh. of, uh, on multiple layers. So that's where we were sitting at in at the start of this year. We knew that there was about one point eight, you know, eight five million in various federal grants that had been they they uh, they attained these grants through fraudulent documents of support. Their execution of these grants was frankly laughable. And uh, their at final, all. you know, if if at all, you know, their their pride's own words and what they've delivered is uh, worth uh, worth a read for the amount of money that they were they, they were allocated, and then their accountant was effectively fired by the membership, if I recall the uh, the meeting in you know in particular, because your report, which detailed a lot of this, uh, went public ahead of the recent Toronto Pride AGM. And rightly so, the members of Toronto Pride were pretty outraged. Now my understanding is that Toronto Pride has apologized for what they call legacy issues. Now I know that COVID and the before times feels like a long time ago. Um, but I'm not sure if I would call 2018 a legacy uh, or 2019 a legacy. but. Pride Toronto has effectively tried to distance themselves. They have somewhat apologised for the mishandling at the time and uh, tried to essentially move on and, uh, you know, figure out where do we go from here. And I think, broadly speaking, everyone was on the same page. Uh, That is until recently. And what is the latest uh, puddle of mud that we found ourselves walking into with Pride Toronto?
2: Well, Luke and Sebastian, you know, here we go again, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The the historian is bringing forward more Pride Toronto documents. It's left on me, the outsider, to gather more evidence that Pride Toronto engaged in widespread financial misconduct, now involving millions. We've left 1.85 million. We're now into multiple millions in federal government grants. So here's what I've found. There are two documents here. The first document appears to be Pride Toronto board minutes from July 2019. And these minutes show that the board voted to empower then executive director Olivia Nuema in her quote sole discretion to engage a grant contract worth 1 million dollars from a different agency, not Heritage, but from the Federal Economic Development Agency for Southern Ontario.
0: Just very so- just very quickly for our listeners uh, the That particular agency works to support uh, businesses and economic development and so on across sort of southern Ontario as a whole. So it's, it's really a funding body of the federal government that uh, can sort of zero in on certain projects to build economic activity, just for those who aren't familiar. And and so in the
2: uh, and thank you for that, that's uh, important context. So this is one million dollars. We have the board minutes that claim to pass over this authority to the executive director without any oversight. And then another document that shows board member signatures, it's got the signatures from each member of the board, the treasurer uh, and the other board members. And I've contacted these uh, and three of them have got back to me saying they never signed this document and those signatures do not belong to them. So this is another grant, uh, another instance where we have this uh, widespread financial misconduct. And this is on top of the $1.85 million I already discussed. So if we're keeping track here, including this newly discovered grant, we're at 2.85 million. Now I know Pride didn't receive all of it, but this is what they were awarded um, in federal funding. And all of this now has serious questions related to financial and ethical misconduct. Now, before I go on, I want to be clear about these new documents and where they come from. So last week, these were sent to me by email from an anonymous person. Now, I don't mean anonymous as in I'm protecting their identity. No, I actually have no idea who sent these to me, but they're not a surprise. Okay, in the last number of months, I've met with various former board members And they alerted me to this, to the point that in April, I submitted an access to information request from the uh, Federal uh, Economic Development Agency to get these documents. Um, And so somebody has decided to send these to me ahead of time. Um, But they're very uh, serious.
0: Just to confirm that uh, we have confirmed with the FDO that they are investigating this particular grant and that, you know, essentially the documents are real you know, that we're not, we're not looking at somebody with a bit of a, a, you know, some Photoshop and Microsoft Word skill. These are real documents, uh, even though they are forgeries.
2: Yes, yeah. Last week, uh, as, as I'm sure you did uh, to do your due diligence, you know, I provided these documents uh, both to the Federal Economic Development Agency as well as to Pride Toronto. Uh, neither of them have denied the authenticity of these documents. And in fact, as you mentioned,
0: Luke, the agency has said, that they're now conducting a review. I also want to add for our listeners that we were able to independently verify that one of the signatures that you had not confirmed was also a forgery. Um, And uh, the board director that we spoke to, former Pride Toronto board director that we spoke to, was uh, frankly shocked that their signature had been used fraudulently and forged onto a million-dollar grant application for Pride Toronto. You know, it's, they must have known that this was, that this existed. Maybe they didn't know that those signatures uh, were forged. Uh, What's your hot take here, Sebastian?
1: Well, I think, I think there's really a follow-up question, which I was actually thinking about asking anyway, which is, so clearly one person for sure forged some documents in order to give themselves some extra power. For the rest of the, board of directors, not only at that time, but since then, how much of this do you think is, I don't want to say coordinated, but uh, that they knew this happened and, and agreed to not say it out loud versus how much of it is neglect, where they saw a document, they said, yeah, whatever, it's probably real, and just never double-checked. So your impression so far, how much do you think is you know one person at the heart of this versus a network of people who just chose to not see it?
2: So it's both. Uh, that's the only way this could have been enabled for this long. It's the only way that this could have been kept uh, quiet. You know, I I will say, you know, I've, I've spoken to several former board members. They alerted me to this. That's why I did the access to information request. They've known about this for a long time okay. and they decided to cover it up and they have good reason to cover it up. Okay, Pride was insolvent before all of this. If they now have to come forward with widespread fraud and forgery, if they have to return millions of dollars in funds, that's going to threaten the corporation of Pride Toronto and the board members, they do not owe their allegiance to the community or to the truth. They owe their allegiance to the corporation I just, I and, and they have every
0: reason to cover this up. Pride Toronto has not been insolvent uh, in terms of, uh, you know, sort of legal definition of it, but as I alluded to earlier, I believe in 2018 and 2019, uh, they had very significant debts uh, mm-hmm. and were struggling to, uh, to operate as a direct result of the various protests around police participation in Pride. So they were not not necessarily solvent. I think, Sebastian, you know, one of the questions that we have put to Pride Toronto, there was a bit of a short turnover. I will accept that they may not have had enough time uh, to respond to our questions in advance of today's broadcast. But one of the questions that we did ask them is, will Pride Toronto be confirming whether or not any additional grants have been impacted by forgery, either through false signatures or false letters of support. You know, it beggars belief that an organization which has been informed by its membership, by media coverage, that uh, grant applications have been uh, fraudulently attained, Mm -hmm. didn't think to look at the other grant applications that were issued at the same time. Because, you know, these are all happening, coming from the same time period at Toronto Pride. So wouldn't if it was you, Sebastian, hypothetically speaking, if you were on the current board and somebody pointed two of these grants at the time were were fraudulent or three of them, would you look at the others?
1: I mean, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Either that or I would abandon ship so fast that people questioned whether I was there in the first place or not. Uh, There's really only two responses, either digging your heels. And uh, well, I mean, I don't know it's such an awkward position to be in because the, the only way to come through this without being implicated in it would be to expose it. But that's pretty rough. Like it, it's hard to be that whistleblower, especially since and this is, this is a beef that I have that hasn't come up in a while, but Canada has pretty weak whistleblower protections in the grand scheme of things. So you might just be equally under threat of, of being considered complicit so I mean I I don't know I I don't know if there's an easy answer uh Tom kind of you know dropped hint at this earlier that there's no easy approach when you find yourself in the position of being on the current board I mean what do you do it's kind
2: of you have a choice between various wrong things to do that's it the question they faced was the truth or save Pride Toronto mm-hmm. because they couldn't. They couldn't have both. And we have to remember that they had another option there, Sebastian. The other option mm-hmm. was to cover it up and keep it quiet. Oh, yes, and that that option succeeded until now, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was a random historian happened to be looking at this niche project on 1969, and that's what blew it up. They were succeeding up until now, mm-hmm. and if if I hadn't come along, it would still be quiet it would still be kept
0: under i mean don't don't understate your own importance a
1: historian is just a journalist who interviews dead people <laughs> well
0: wait we, well <laughs> let's let's have a conversation about where pride can possibly go next uh, just after our next track i'm feeling a bit of a french canadian vibe today this is debut by Ariane moffat and uh, we will be back just after this <laughs> And welcome back to Kanaky, home of Canada's Queer media. My name is Luke Smith, and joining me on the call has our uh, is our historian come journalist that interviews living people um, and uh, <laughs> and of course the longtime co-host and uh, co-creator of CanQueer Sebastian now for those who have just joined us for our you know lovely toe dipping into queer quebécois um, you know artists Ariane Moffat uh, you know we were just talking about how Prior to this past week, we had been looking into $1.85 million worth of federal grants that Pride Toronto had received. However, in their applications for those grants, they had forged letters of support from various organizations. And uh, in it later emerged had massively under delivered on the goals of those grants. We then discussed a brand new grant that uh, Tom Hooper has unearthed. Um, I mean, I say unearthed. It was a very shallow grave that uh, this was particularly buried in, uh, but has unearthed. And this one speaks to a new one million dollar grant from the economic and uh, economic social development. Uh, agency for southern ontario yet again another federal funding body um where it appears that the minutes from the pride toronto board authorizing uh, the sole authority to olivia Newema, the former executive director of toronto pride appears to have been faked it appears to be a fraudulent set of minutes the director that we spoke to does not recall ever being on that uh, on that alleged phone call Um, And then that was accompanied by a letter signed by at least six or seven board directors. uh, And we have confirmed collectively at least five of those signatures by those board directors were also forged in an agreement, an official agreement, between the federal government and Pride Toronto. So really we find ourselves asking, you know, how is it that Pride Toronto, every time we seem to look too carefully, like I keep referring to these rugs that we're looking under, uh, you know is is just full of secret and scandal. Um, would it be more effective, maybe, to get ahead of this? be like before Tom comes sniffing, here's two more that we've identified as being problematic and 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 potentially fraudulent and being upfront and honest. you know i'm I'm you know that's a hypothetical we we may have unearthed all of them, but we may not have. What's the expectations, what Pride should do next?
2: Well, you know, I met with the current executive director, the current board co-chairs in March, okay? They wanted to meet with me to discuss the fallout from my initial investigation. And I was only too happy to meet with them uh, on Zoom. And I told them very bluntly that I was continuing my investigation. I was submitting more access to information requests, and that it was up to them to get ahead of me and come forward with the truth. So, you know, I, I we have to say that the current executive director, the current board chair tra- co-chairs, they're not on these documents. There's no indication that they had anything to do with these documents. So, the the initial issue uh is perhaps a legacy issue in that the current leadership has turned over. But we're now looking at the current leadership of pride toronto my initial report came out six months ago six months that's six months yesterday they've had plenty of time to own up to all of this to come forward with the full truth and yet they decided not to you know they had that the, the auditing firm kpmg do an investigation into three of their federal grants which three did they do they chose the ones that at that point i had submitted access to information requests for so they selected the ones they thought I was going to find, and they tried to get ahead of it through that. But they need to come forward fully because there's more grants that I have. I'm, I'm expecting uh, documents from the provincial government next week. And so what's going to be in those? Are we to believe now that the provincial government grants are squeaky clean, that they don't have any of these issues in it? Uh, It it would be unusual, Sebastian and Luke, if I came across an access to information request now that did not contain these types of unethical uh, anomalies. So uh, my response is exactly that. They've had plenty of time. They now own this. And there's that old saying, uh, you know, sometimes the cover up is worse than the crime.
0: My concern is what this is doing for trust in the institution of, of toronto pride now you talk to anyone in toronto the institution of toronto pride is uh you know it, it that their, their trust has been a roller coaster i think over its uh, over its lifetime but you know we if people are donating to toronto pride if large corporate partners are signing on to agree with corporate pride you know you want to be able to trust them when they say we will take your money and we will do abc and we have the authority To do A, B, and C. Well, when there's documents with forged board signatures, under delivery on grants, that trust starts to fall apart a little bit here. And I worry that they may be undermining themselves by not addressing this more thoroughly. So
1: here's where I'm going to sound like I'm writing an essay in grade 11. Because, you know, when you read... That, well, I mean, Tom, you're, you're a professor. You read you read underthought essays all the time, I'm sure, where people connect things to things that are way too big. Um, for me, the big concern about this is actually at the federal level and the federal government's general apparent indifference to potential fraud. And to me, it's just this is exposing, like, what, what does this represent on the bigger level in terms of um, are there other major grants being handed out that are clearly fraud and people are just kind of indifferent because they just haven't happened to be exposed yet. Like this to me is, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of a canary in the coal mine situation. What 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 does this signal otherwise? But I don't want to over connect it. But on the other hand, my mind just can't help but go there.
2: I think you're absolutely right. We talked about this last time I was on your show. Uh, and in fact, we, you know, I shared and you shared with me that we're trying to get answers from Canadian heritage and I think the response was basically like you know submit an access to information request (laughs) it's like you how how is that your response as the Mm. funder as the person who was supposed to be following up on all of these documents on these supposed partnerships Mm -hmm. and yet none of that seems to have happened we're not talking about one or two forged letters you know we're talking about I've I now have eight documents that have signatures on it that don't match up Mm uh what does that say that none of those were checked Mm -hmm. so i think that the federal government has to answer for this also not only for their lack of oversight but for their response now you know Mm -hmm. that now that i have brought it forward and yet they seem to be perfectly okay with how pride toronto has
1: Uh, also toronto made promises of a series of deliverables that they didn't they didn't Match and the government just seemed to not notice, which is also not a good look. Um, I mean, how, worth, how did they not notice? It's well, worth,
0: yeah. I mean, usually governments audit grants at the end. And and sometimes they hold certain funds back to make sure you've completed things uh, successfully so that, mm. you know, they don't actively monitor every single grant because the federal government spends a lot of money working with agencies and nonprofits and charities to get work done and to monitor all of that would be obscene. Now, it is worth mentioning that we reached out to Canadian Heritage about uh, where someone can address allegations of potential fraud. And we were referred to, and I quote here, the mechanism for external parties to bring an allegation of fraud to the attention of Canadian Heritage is through the General Inquiries line. That's one 800 866 or via email. They are then directed to the appropriate departmental representatives, and uh, for confidentiality reasons, they could not divulge if anyone had filed a report regarding Pride Toronto. So we did reach out to Canadian Heritage. We did try and get some information, and you reached out to the uh, Economic Development for Southern Ontario, and they give you pretty much the same response. They're mm-hmm. investigating. Thank you for your email. That's just so nuts. Like the, the part where they say they cannot
1: confirm or deny if anybody else has launched a complaint, that I actually do understand just from like, a, I don't know, a privacy issues and things like that. But but we can't tell you who the complaints department is. It's just so weird. That's, that's the part that baffles. Like they don't even have an ombuds or something. Ontario has an ombuds that you can call and complain to. But the feds have nothing like that. That's just bizarre to me.
2: And and I have launched a complaint. I mean, it's my privacy they're protecting. There, I'm one <laughs> of the people who emailed them, and I've I've emailed them several times. You know, initially they got back to me and said, "Oh, we're waiting on the KPMG report uh, to come back." That was their initial response. And the KPMG came back, and it didn't include any investigation into the false claims on grant documents, and KPMG didn't investigate faked signatures. Mm. So. I went back to heritage I said okay they didn't include it they actually have a line in the KPMG report specifically saying they didn't investigate those things mm-hmm. so I went back to heritage and I said okay what do you, they didn't investigate it why are you relying on KPMG and again uh, no response so I have complained and heritage has decided not to proceed or they're not communicating that
0: they're proceeding on any kind of review Mm-hmm. I mean, it's worth noting, and we spoke to the executive director of Toronto Pride last week, that they are doing a lot. They have more programs and events lined up this year than any other large pride in the world. You know, they are they are really trying to, to execute a, a sort of Toronto-wide, you know, entire GTA sort of vision uh, to, to being accessible to various communities and the entire community. The fact that they haven't responded to me straight away understandable they're a little bit busy but at the end of the day these are public dollars this is tax money that we're talking about this is trust in an institution for the lgbt community Uh, and it's this current leadership that frankly dropped the ball On the economic development uh, uh, grant, because they should have been looking for it when we flagged the, when you know you flagged and then we amplified the issues with the first three. So you know, I think that uh, being busy is is a valid excuse, but it's still a bit of an excuse.
2: In in when the news broke of my January report, uh, the executive director, the board co-chairs, they kept repeating these phrases, you know, transparency and accountability. Uh, I, I don't think they realize these these are more than just words that you say. You know, I can't I can't name a single thing that they have done toward accountability in the six months that my report has been released. I mean, I can't name one. Uh, I don't know if you if either of you can, but if we can't name the transparency and accountability, if we can't find where they have actually, you know, attempted redress for some of this stuff, uh, then how is that? How is it that they're actually delivering on what they're saying?
0: Now, as it happens, we had initially reached out to you to join our show today to talk about a small protest that took place at the Toronto uh, flag-raising ceremony uh, where you and various members of Pride Toronto from within the membership were really flagging and raising the issue of these three grants that had been, you know, I think mismanaged is a very... I think that's a good term for for what had happened there um and really a, this is a kind way of putting snowball, it. yeah that, that, that's a kind <laughs> way of uh, of framing uh, that, uh, that that bit of history but you know this is not a surprise you have been vocal in terms of producing content i.e the report you produce you and many others protested the flag raising to raise awareness of this You know, Pride Toronto is not unaware that these are issues that need addressing. Um, When it comes to what accountability measures they will be taking, that was one of the questions uh, that I believe we asked them, what measures are in place for them to prevent any of this taking place again. Yet again, I do admit that we weren't able to provide them with enough time necessarily to respond ahead of today's show. Uh, however, we do hope that they will give us uh, more information ahead of next week's show. Next Monday is when we will be recording, so fingers crossed they can actually answer the question of what uh, what accountability and transparency they are bringing to the fore. In closing, Tom, what you know for this part of our show, what. Uh, this begs the question, are you gonna be going back to focus on historical LGBT crime or is potentially modern day fraud at the highest levels uh, tickling your fancy? I'm, I am a historian,
2: but as you mentioned, I, I'm a member of Pride Toronto and my, my passion for history uh, is included in my passion for Pride Toronto. I think this is a really important event both in our city's history, but also for today. And, you know, Pride Toronto, yeah, they want to talk about all the things they're going to do to prevent this from happening again. Uh, but but they don't want to talk about the things that are going to make up for the damage and the harm that they have caused. And it's really difficult for me to channel that pride of Pride Toronto, that, that sense of connection to our history of fighting against marginalization and oppression uh, when... This stuff is going on behind the scenes. So, I mean, I'm always doing historical work. I was just at a, a queer history conference in San Francisco last week. So that stuff doesn't stop. I'm teaching all the time. I'm teaching in the summer right now, uh, but I will not be dropping this. You, you can bet I'm going to keep uh, on this investigation uh, as one of my, you know, primary uh, research projects.
1: I mean, the, the weird thing is that another angle that a lot of prides take is building community and uh, the current board is also sort of holding themselves above and beyond the community. So there there's multiple angles where they're sort of missing their own mandate, which is frustrating.
0: It is. Well, th- Go ahead. Let's, uh, let's see how that moves back. Well, when we get back, we have some other Canadian news stories to talk about and some of the highlights of what's happened in the LGBTQ uh, community uh, at large across the world. Do you want to uh, stick around and join us for that, Tom, or are you uh, going to dip out? Sure, why not? I'll Excellent. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> All right, this is Carry On by Chauder uh, This one's in English, but again, another amazing. Uh, community. We sat on the
3: edge of today. so don't let me
0: Welcome back to CanQueer, home of Canada's Queer Media. I am still Luke Smith. I am Sebastian. And uh, we are also joined by the incredibly talented Tom Hooper, who uh, I muted earlier and I don't think realized. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry about that. I uh, no probably problem. should have passed, uh, <laughs> passed along the news that uh, that you were muted. Um, I did mention that we want to cover some international news just before we finish out for the day. Um, sticking with Pride. Very quickly, some big news happened last week where 31 people uh, had been arrested uh, in uh, Côte in Idaho, although I doubt they oh. pronounce it with as much French as that. But uh, 31 members of a white supremacist group were arrested outside of Côte in Idaho. Um, they were armed to the teeth and uh, they were arrested because they were believed to be you know staging essentially an armed protest against the pride event uh, that was happening on site you know i bring this up because uh, that is you know maybe the most extreme but there have been uh, pride balls have invaded well i say invaded they they uh, burst into a drag a drag story time uh, in in the states as well and caused a lot of uh, a lot of tears um, and eventually the police had to be involved there but what's really interesting is new york city pride Wait, luke we, before you go on yeah there are
1: minor details that you may have gotten wrong so uh the proud boys actually never participated in that somebody who witnessed it assumed they were proud boys but oh somebody, i see nobody actually looked into it the proud boys actually have a uniform it's like a black and yellow shirt and not a single one of those people were wearing that shirt and the the code event thing a lot of people are really weirded out by well first of all the the only armaments they found like there were protective gear they were wearing kevlar vests and helmets uh but the only weapons they found were flashbangs and smoke grenades they they showed up to do fisty cuffs but when they were arrested a lot of people noticed that when they were being cuffed their utility belts backpacks and masks were not being removed from them which is super weird that's not what an arrest looks like so a lot of the events from the past week are just superficial and, and I'm not saying anything about it because we don't know what to make of this.
0: Well, you, I, I appreciate you uh, pushing back there a bit, but as we recall, in Hamilton, in I want to say 2019, there mm-hmm. was a, a somebody who with with significant malicious intent. Oh, yeah. uh, I think yep. is the politest way I can I can phrase it. Who mm-hmm. then assaulted people with a bike with a with a motorbike helmet? Yes, um, as part of their counter pride protests in Hamilton, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know Canada and Ontario has certainly suffered its own uh, spate of uh, violent counter-protesters, but in New York, their approach to security is very interesting. This year, they have essentially asked the New York City police to politely. Just stay home for the day, <laughs> and uh, they are doing a series of uh, trained volunteers in in high vis jackets. They've outsourced the private security firms, a lot of the the road security and so on that you would, that they would suggest. Um, so they are fully secured in terms of you know the venues and locations, but it's all contractors under contract that they control or volunteers that they uh, that they assign. And uh, I think it was a way of the New York City Pride, you know, committee and organization having a bit more control of the security side, which has, you know, their relationship with New York City police has been uh, problematic. Uh, But I wonder if that's an interesting way that pride parades might move forward, you know, with that relationship with police effectively severing it in in, uh, favor of private security and volunteers.
2: You know, the, the, the first story you mentioned uh, that actually they're both linked, but uh, it kind of makes me realize uh, how important pride still is and how we can't take it for granted and we can't let it get away with, you know, the kinds of things that I talk about in my investigation that we are our communities are under attack and. Uh, It's really important that we come together at Pride and make it about something that's meaningful, that connects us back to our historical roots. So uh, you're right. Maybe what's happening in in New York is a a new way forward.
1: I don't know. Can you do that in Canada? Like, would it be legal to hire private security to that scale to do the kind of thing that is normally done by the municipality? And if you're in a community that doesn't have municipal, then use provincial or federal. Like. I'm just wondering it would that even be legal in Canada to do that kind of
0: thing? I think it certainly raises the question, but really, what it speaks to is this very delicate relationship that pride organizations and policing bodies have mm-hmm. held because policing bodies, both in Canada and across the world, have a long history uh some of it more current than others of uh, abuse against the LGBT community and pride organizations are kind of at the intersection of that.
1: And I think we should probably point out for the listening audience that cost is not on the issue as a table, because when a community does an event where the police show up to do security, you also have to pay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The police will sometimes give discounts as a part of charity work, but they it is not free. Mm-hmm. So it would cost more to get private security. In, but to say it, it would be a barrier is not at all an issue because you're paying for security one way or the other
0: well we are running uh, quickly running out of time i did want to mention we are we do follow pop culture we just don't often (coughs) report on it uh we did see that canada versus the world was announced so uh you know for drag queen fans you may have seen the uk versus the world where uh, british queens uh you know competed against uh various international queens on the uh, you know this uh, spin off of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, canada is now hosting the global competition uh, we've also seen the announcement of season 3 i believe of RuPaul's Drag Race Canada Uh, Last season, the judges were pleasant, uh, and the edits were nice. It was a far more Canadian-feeling season, Um, so I hope that that gets carried through to season three. But there was another story I wanted to quickly mention, and that is that we saw a statement issued by the Durham, uh, various libraries in the Durham region, the Clarington Public Library, Ajax Public Library, Whitby, um pickering and essentially these libraries issued a statement saying that every june they work to host drag story times that this reflects something that is uh, enjoyed and valued by their communities and that they are very much looking forward to continuing to do so essentially the libraries themselves coming forward and saying this means a lot to our communities and we're going to we're going to stick with it uh, any closing comments sebastian
1: i mean uh, not on the drag story time. I think that's a, that's a very deep story that we don't have much time to cover. But I'm very, I'm very glad that that uh, Tom could join us again. I, I would just like to say thank you very much. You're always a, a pleasant uh, uh, guest.
2: All
0: next right. time i hope to join you in uh, studio that'd be nice absolutely <laughs> and uh, hopefully we're not talking about an, another scandal all right we are playing out <laughs> with uh Toulimem by stromay this is uh, one of his less popular songs not canadian but still on the french vibe mm-hmm. i have been luke smith i'm sebastian and i'm tom and thank you for listening
4: Sommes et tous les mêmes Macho, mais tu, de nos vies est infidèle Si prévisible, non je ne suis pas certaine que que, que tu le mérites, fait de la chance qu'on vous aime Dis-moi merci Rendez-vous,
0: rendez-vous, rendez-vous au prochain oui. règlement Rendez-vous, rendez-vous, rendez-vous sûrement aux prochaines règles Facile à dire, je suis gnan et que j'aime trop les blablabla, bla bla, mais non, 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 c'est important. Que t'appelles les ranas, tu sais la vie, c'est des enfants, et comme toujours c'est
4: pas le bon moment.